0: Good morning, church. Man, it's good to see you guys here this morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm Ryan. I'm our lead pastor here. And um, you know, seeing a lot of people here at the 9 o'clock service is awesome. Um, Will you help us and be in prayer for when we ought to launch a third service and when? Can we do that as a church together? Not just put it on the leadership team here, but we know we got to have a third service. The question becomes, where and when is it? Um, so I'm just, before we even get into the message, all of us, um, I'm just going to, okay, here we go. All right. Um, you know, I don't want it. I will just be honest. I don't want it on a Sunday morning. I know. See, Hmm, I love it. Here's why. Do you know one third of Americans work Sunday morning? So we've already negated a third of our population because they're working. And if we only say Sunday morning, we're only saying hopefully that works in your schedule, because that's when we dictate when we're having services. I want to be a church that reaches all sorts of people, from lost to the D church to the unchurched to the church. And I'm wondering what other time do we have? Is it a Saturday night? We tried it. Is it a Sunday night? What about radical idea? Is it a Monday night? <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm willing to do anything for the gospel. No one said amen to that. Look at that. Like, hey, man, I want my Monday nights. Football's coming around. It's Monday night football, right? But listen, I would rather be in the house of the Lord with you than watching football at home. I'm just saying, right? All right, you better keep keep that clapping going because we're gonna uh, we're in our last week of all of us. It's been unveiling our new mission statement as a church, and uh, we're gonna read it together this morning. But i just how many curious? I, honestly, how many of you just can say I know the mission statement already by memory? Wow! As you can see, wildly popular at Radiant Life. Uh, wow. I'm not hurt, no. Um, We'll read it together. Let's read it together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Living out our God-given purpose every day. By being transformed by Jesus, reaching the lost, and making disciples who make disciples. That is where we are headed this morning. We are going to wrap up the final portion of our statement talking a little bit about the lost, but making disciples who make disciples. Every week so far, we've been taking a chunk of this and unpacking it in our lives and how does it play out within the church But before I move too far in, um, we just did a whole series on reaching the lost and how to put into practice what we call the BLESS practice or the BLESS method. You can watch that series. So I'm going to briefly touch about the lost, but I'm not going to spend too much time there because we did just do a series all about how to reach out to the one person. Can I take a moment and say, our one wall we've been praying for lost people now has three blue ping pong balls in there meaning salvations. And here's what I love about that. That isn't coming from us as pastors. It's coming from you guys. I was here this week and got to have someone put in a blue ping pong ball, not of my own doing, but someone in the church. And guess what? That person walked down there too and got to see their name get put on a blue ping pong ball which again means salvation. They in turn said, will you do, because the person was explaining what the white ones are and the green and the blue. And, the, and they said, well, will you put my sister's name on a white one? And our church member said, no, but you can now. And now we have the blue ping pong ball putting one in for the white, now praying for their family member. How awesome is that? So don't, don't lose sight of that, right? It says vision, the quote is, vision leaks every 30 days, We got to be reminded that there is a heaven and a hell, and that is a reality in our lives. And we have family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors and classmates that if Jesus Christ came back today, they would spend eternity away from them or away from the heavenly father. And the father's heart is that everyone would know who he is, but it is only through Christ Jesus. That we can enter into relationship. Hey, if you will, as we unpack this idea of disciples making disciples, we're going to be in two spots. Uh, so mark your Bible, if you will, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. You're going to find four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The four guys that write about the life of Jesus. We're gonna, you probably know if you've been around Radiant Life for the last year. Matthew 28, you know exactly where we're going if you're a Radiant Lifer. Um, And then Mark 1, those are gonna be our anchors this morning as we unpack. I've titled the Spirit Making, or the title The Spirit. I was reading Spirit as I said that. I've titled the message Making Spirit Filled Kingdom Disciples. Now, when you mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to give you a little bit of context there. Um, If you're there, say word. Word. I like that. Matthew 28, um, let let me give you context before we jump in. Um, Jesus has died. Jesus has uh, been buried. He's been resurrected. He's now appeared to his disciples, and he's told his disciples to go to the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the mountain where Jesus told them. Nowhere in scripture are we told what mountain at the Sea of Galilee that Jesus tells his disciples. You know, biblical scholars a little bit, are not argue, but they're like, maybe it was here, maybe it was here. I want to contest my belief is that it's right here. This is Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel literally sits, well, as you see, right there at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, it's right there. I want to contest to you that I think that is where it is. And here's one of the major reasons why I believe and some scholars believe this is the mountain that Jesus is telling his disciples, 11 of them, his good friends that he did life and ministry with is Mount Arbel because of this. I was able to be there 7 years ago and took that picture from Mount Arbel. So we're on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. You can see how big the Sea of Galilee is. It's seven miles east to west. North to south, it's 13 miles. It's called a sea, but it's fresh water. Go figure, right? Um, So it's a massive freshwater lake. And so I'm standing on this picture on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, looking, taking a picture to the east. Can you see all the little cities all around Remember, 80% of Jesus' ministry was right there, the region of the Sea of Galilee. So I imagine in my eyes, it's Mount Arbel because when you climb up there, you can see everything. And it's right there. And then this is a picture kind of looking to the south too, and you see all those little boats out there. I mean, I can imagine Jesus standing there and says, remember when I did this? Remember we did this? And you know, this was Capernaum. By the way, Capernaum, if you're curious, Uh, I'm just geeking out right now with you. Um, I don't know if you can see. I'm going to point to this. This is Capernaum right here. Okay? Did did you all see? I'll I'll get you on this side. Don't worry. Right? Capernaum is right here. Why do I mention Capernaum? That's the home base of Jesus' ministry It's Capernaum. Where where are they living at Capernaum? Peter's mother-in-law's home. Peter, the disciple, that's where they lived. That's the home base. So you get to see home base also on Mount Arbel, where Jesus is like, hey, hey, remember, wait, No, we, this is where we lived, right? This was home base for our minist- my ministry and everything I'm doing. And it's, I believe, on this mountain, Mount Arbel, Jesus is going to give us the great commission. And I hope you, my prayer is, was that, God, I pray Radiant Life would put this into memory. May we put this into memory. Here we go, what Jesus says. To his disciples. It reads this way: Go therefore and make what disciples. Hang on to that because we need to understand ancient world and under understand what in the world of Jesus is saying here. Okay, because we don't we don't ever use that word today, right? Not many of us use the word disciple. What does that even mean? What does it look like? We'll go to the ancient world in just a moment. But he tells them, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what's known as the great commission. Now remember what Jesus says, go and make what? Disciples, right? Here's the issue in the North American church today. Okay. I, I, we rearranged the great commission into making it the great commission of the North American church today. So this is not scriptural by the way, I'm going to show you. Okay. But this is what honestly the churches in North America say today. Go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. <laughs> That's reality. Right? It is. That is what's crept into the North American church today. But Jesus does not say that. He says, go. First of all, in the original Greek, because that was written in Greek, it actually means the, the, the whole word there in the Greek is, as you are going. As you are going, go and make disciples. It's a constant go. And then I love that he says you got to baptize them, right? Baptize them. There's an obedience. When we come to faith, we are now baptized. It's a public declaration that we belong to Jesus Christ. And then we got to teach them, teaching them to observe, obey everything I've commanded, that you and I now must walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, that we walk after him. But the problem is in the North American church, We just want to grow worship attenders. I I I don't want to grow a big church. I want to grow disciples of Jesus Christ. That's my heart and passion. Now, please hear me. I think a result of that is a larger church. I, I do believe that is an output because of what's happening. Is more people are coming. You know why more people should come because that means we're reaching the lost. That means the lost are finding homes to call home. I don't care if it's here or if it's at Grace or the missionary church. I don't care if it's down in Indiana. I don't care. As soon as we reach someone, let's help them get plugged in a local church and let them get discipled. Oh, I hope you hear my heart this morning. By the way, I'm super passionate about this. Here's one of the reasons why. Lord, help me not get off on tangents. (laughs) Here's why. The last 24 months have been difficult for everyone, right? We're all in agreement. We all walk the same thing. What that realized, it revealed in my heart is this. There is a discipleship issue in the American church today. We are more discipled by Fox News or CNN than we are discipled by Jesus Christ. I love love you Fox News people. I love you CNN News people. But please know, you submit to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords (laughs) above everything, okay? Thank you for the golf clap, by the way. So before we jump in, (laughs) I know, because some of them are like, "Uh uh-oh, where's he going, right? I'm not going to go. Ryan, talk about politics. No, do you know how often Jesus did? Right? Like, he's talking about the kingdom. That's what we got to talk about. Because when you talk about the kingdom, you're transformed and informed about the kingdom of God, which will inform your politics. Okay. All right, there it is. We're going (laughs) to (laughs) pray. For real, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, would you open our hearts? There's a reason why you gave it, and it's called the Great Commission. God, this was your mission for the church. And so it's so important, and it's key in this moment. So, Father God, I pray that our eyes and our hearts would be open to what you have to say. Help us to fully understand what it looks like to be a disciple. What does it look like to help other people become disciples? And then that just keeps replicating. God, would you move in a mighty way this morning as we turn to your word. Your word changes us. May we not just get into the word, but may it completely transform not just our mind, but our heart and the way we live. So would you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you, Holy Spirit, this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me remind you again. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. I'm going to have two conversations with you this morning. I'm going to unpack a little bit about the ancient world and what is a disciple because that was common language for them. So let's jump back into their world and try to understand what that means. Then I'm going to take us on a journey to understand this entire concept of what we call in the church world, discipleship. So I'm going to take you to the micro level, if you will, and we're going to talk about disciples in the ancient world, and then we'll end with the macro view of discipleship. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to warn you, man, I'm going to go through quick. I got a lot of slides for you. I got a lot of information. Don't let it stay at information. May it move to heart transformation. Amen. And so you're going to want to take notes quick, by the way. But in the ancient world, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, everyone understands what that is, what disciples are. To us in the 21st century world, we're like, yeah, what is a disciple? Well, good, glad you ask. Let me take you back 2,000 years ago, and let's understand the Jewish synagogue school in order to fully understand what a disciple is. Because Jesus is making a very declarative statement, make disciples. Make what? Disciples. So, schooling was done within the churches. The synagogue was the Jewish church. And so, at the age of five or six, boys and girls would enter schooling at their local synagogue. This is known as Beth Sefer, which is elementary school. Boys and girls, five and six years old. And their main focus was to memorize the Torah memorize the pentateuch in other words those are the first 5 books of the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy at the age of 5 or 6 boys and girls would begin their schooling by learning 5 books of the bible now we look at that and say that's impressive because if i ask christians today how many verses do you know maybe one maybe two And in the ancient world, they memorized whole books of the Bible. Man, can I just ask you, how much of God's word do you actually know? Are you into this? Are you allowing this? I know there's parts that are confusing. Just don't start at Leviticus. That's going to really mess you up. You're going to be like, I got to do what when I get a scab? Like, no, just pass that right now. You know, get to know who Jesus is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, start there, right there. All right, but... Man, they knew it. High education. Kids, if you're kids in this room, man, don't complain when your teacher tells you to memorize something. They're not asking you to memorize the first five books of the Bible. But in the ancient world, they did, right? It was Bet Sefer, the elementary school. At the age of around 12 or 13, you would enter Bet Midrash. Let me hear you say Midrash. This is what's known as secondary schooling. But at this time, it is now boys only. Girls, you were done. Now you went to the home. Get this. Why was Mary, do we believe, between the ages of 12 to 14? She wasn't in school anymore. She was now at home. And most ladies, according to the Mishnah, the Mishnah is the Jewish. Oral tradition that they lived on outside of God's word. They had an oral tradition called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, men had to be married by the age of 20. Females, you got married between the ages of 12 and 14, according to the Mishnah. Now you know why we believe Mary was 12 to 14 years old. Is that cool? I just, okay, here we go. Here we go. So now here's what's cool. Check this out. The boys at this time would only do question and answer sessions. Now think about Jesus, if you will. If you know the story when Mary and Joseph left Jesus in Jerusalem, and he was in the synagogue, he was at the te- or he was at the temple, what was Jesus doing? It said he was asking questions and answer. Why was he doing that? Because Jesus was in Beth Midrash at the time. Whew, I hope your brain's like, oh, this is cool. Let's geek out together. Okay, So that's what's happening there. And why does Joseph and Mary actually leave Jerusalem and not know where Jesus is? Because women traveled ahead of the men, and they traveled in groups. So I'm assuming Mary's probably thinking, well, he's back there with Joseph, and Joseph is back here saying, he's probably with Mary ahead of us, right? I mean, great parenting right there. You lost the son of God. Good job, Mary and Joseph. Right? But of course, Jesus says, I'm in my father's house. I'm doing what the father should be doing, right? I'm answering, I'm, I'm, I'm te- there, I've, I've, got the, I've got the religious leaders. I'm asking them questions. Why would Jesus be trained in that? Because he's in Midrash right there. And we're told he's at the age of 12 at that time. And now you're wondering, that's why he's asking questions. Because that's the schooling he's in. Now, there's one last schooling. If you didn't make it past this, you went to your family's trade. In a sense, you failed out of rabbinical school. A rabbinical school, it's rabbi meaning teacher. If you didn't make it, you would go back to that family trade. Hence, when Jesus calls his disciples, what does he find a lot of them doing? Fishing. He's, they're doing their trade. What does that mean about the disciples who Jesus chose? Yeah, they didn't make it. Like, you didn't realize that, did you? Dude, that's an eclectic group of people, right? You got fishermen, you got guys with swords that were zealots, and you had a tax collector that they all hated each other. And Jesus is like, yeah, this is the group we're going to change the world with, right? <laughs> like, woo. you know what that means for us, man? You are without hope, man. Jesus looks at you and goes, I can use you too. I use these 12 dudes. I'll use you, man. <laughs> but isn't that awesome? So how do we know how old the uh, disciples are real quick? I am a proponent. There are proponents that they're older. I'm a proponent that they're younger. Again, according to the Mishnah, you would be married by the age of 20. We only know for sure one disciple was married, Peter. So we know Peter probably then was the oldest disciple. He's at least 20 or older, probably younger, because who else can afford to leave families alone and just, just travel? A rabbi that doesn't have a home, has no money, you didn't know that, did you, right? Women supported Jesus' ministry. You see it all throughout Scripture. He, he says, I don't have a place to lay my head at night. That's why 80% of the time he's hanging out in Peter's mother-in-law's home in Capernaum. Are you guys learning something this morning? <laughs> I just like, come on, I love, I love Scripture. Okay, I, we do got a message to get to. Okay, um, and then the best of the best, the truly gifted, would study with famous rabbis, we do not know who Jesus' rabbi would have been. Nowhere in scripture are we told that. It must not be important for us. But only the truly gifted. And when a rabbi would accept you, you would be known as a talmid. Let me hear you say talmid, which literally translates disciple, which means student and learner. So now we get the, and the whole idea of this schooling now, as you followed the rabbi, was to become like your rabbi. You wanted, when your rabbi went, pardon me, when your rabbi went potty, you went potty. You did everything your rabbi did. Whatever scripture your rabbi memorized, you memorized. Whatever worldview your rabbi had, you took on that worldview. Let me ask you, if Jesus Christ is truly your savior, your rabbi, do you have his worldview? Because Jesus is calling all of us after him. See, they knew and understood what a disciple was because that was part of their schooling. So now Jesus comes and says, hey, you're going to follow me. By the way, you're going to be my disciples. By the way, now go make disciples. Go make disciples. Go make learners. Go make students. Imitate who I am now. The quote was often said in the ancient world to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You were walking so closely behind your rabbi that as his sandals flipped dirt, you would be covered in it are you covered in the dust of Jesus this morning? Do you walk that intimately close with him? And so that's the schooling. So they understood when Jesus is up on the mountain at Sea of Galilee, says, go make disciples. They're like, yeah, yeah, we got to make learners. They got to follow after us. They got to imitate our ways, right? So let's jump to another discussion. Mark chapter 1, really quick. Mark chapter 1 we get an insight really quick as to how Jesus calls the first disciples. Remember, we looked at Matthew 28. He's saying now Jesus is going to say, hey, go make them. But let's take a quick look at Mark chapter 1 when Jesus actually calls his first disciples because we get a little bit of insight. Now, Mark chapter 1 starts with this, that Jesus is on the lake on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, fresh water. But he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where he's going to find fishermen, but call them to follow after him. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, we'll start in verse 16. It reads this way. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who maybe in your translation it actually is Peter, and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Why? Why? They flunked out of school, right? They just didn't make the cut. That's really, they did not make the cut. No famous rabbi said, I want you to be my disciple. They didn't make it. And so then he goes, Jesus says, check out these words. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with hired men and followed him. Interesting, what is the difference between the two groups of people he's calling? One, there's no mention of a hired man. The other one right here, there's hired men. Here's just a biblical insight. If you owned a fishing um, Business and you had hired men, when you know what that meant for you, you're wealthy because you could afford hiring employees. The rest, your employees were your sons if you couldn't afford them. So now we know probably Zebedee has a little bit of money, and James and John probably came from a slightly wealthy family because he was able to have hired men. But let me turn back and look at, let's hone in on verse 17. This is key. Jesus says this follow me what when disciples came to follow after a famous rabbi a disciple follows jesus what does this mean for you and i this means that we don't follow a church we don't follow a denomination we don't follow a movement it is a personal call in our life to follow after christ jesus now here's what's key it's a lifelong journey Get this, if it was all about just head knowledge and coming to salvation, what Jesus would have done is lined up the 12 disciples, and of course Peter would be first, he's the leader of the disciples, he's the oldest. Jesus could have laid his hand on his head and said, Peter, know all things, know preventive grace and supernatural pluralism, know the kenosis theory, you all know that, right? No, you don't, See? He could have done that to Peter and said, Peter, know all things. And Peter was like, oh, I understand it all. But he didn't. What did Jesus say? Follow after me. Imitate me. Watch what I do. And he didn't go around down the line and go boom, boom, boom. You all know all things now. He didn't do that. It's following after. It's looking towards someone to be informed by their way of living. And see, here's the problem in the American church. The, the problem with the American church is this. We're trying to get out of earth and get into heaven. When Jesus says, may heaven come down here on earth. Think about that. Right, we have a love affair with heaven. Right, don't get me wrong. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see my dad again in heaven. I can't wait to be with him again. But right now, Jesus' prayer is your, ha- your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we got to start knowing that, that we have a mission and it's to help usher in the kingdom of God here and now, Amen? Amen. And so it's following after. It's this lifelong journey. If it was just about entering into a relationship with Jesus and stopping right there, listen, you all would be spiritual bottle rockets. Right? We say a prayer here, and we ask, "Hey, raise your hand if you said that prayer." And you raise your hand, and we, all of a sudden you go. We'd say, "Oh, we got another one." He gone, right? <laughs> But it doesn't happen that way, right? We get saved, and now we're not just saved from something, which is sin. We're saved for something. We got a mission now. And that's why Jesus doesn't just take us out once we enter into a relationship with him. We got a mission to fulfill now. Let's go fill it. And so they knew what it was like to follow after someone, to imitate those ways. Then he says this, I will make you. And this is what I want to say. A disciple is formed by Jesus. Notice it says, I will make you. I will make you. It's the Holy Spirit in us conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's nothing what you can do. The the theological term from the moment of salvation as he works to conform you into the image of Jesus is called sanctification. Sanctification. It's looking more like the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does that for us. He says, I will make you. There's nothing you can do. It is all about the grace of God in our lives. You can't do enough to earn God's more favor and love. He loves you as you are, but oh, he doesn't want to keep you there. He loves you too much. He wants to move you there. And so that's what that is, right? It's to be formed by the way Jesus walked. It's to be informed we talk the way he talks. We respond the way Jesus responded. We're formed by him. We're transformed. We adopt his worldview. We imitate Jesus' practices as he forms us more into the image of God. Let me ask you a question. Who is forming you? Who's forming you? See, we're all being discipled. The question is, what's discipling you? Social media, news, your parents, your best friends. May Jesus Christ be the one that informs us. May Jesus Christ be the one that forms us. May Jesus Christ be the one that disciples us. And here's the last. Look at at the last. The last statement gets left off often. I will make you, I'm going to form you. You fish for people. A disciple is focused on others. This is where we trip up. This is where the difference between comfort and carrying our cross comes. See, I realize it's very comfortable being in holy huddles where people are very similar to us. I get that. And I love that because we got to get in those environments. The key to everything we need in our lives is biblical community, friends. I've counseled more and more people. I don't like the word counsel because I'm not a counselor. I'm a shepherd. I've shepherded more and more people. Who have had hit things in marriages and things in life and they've walked out of biblical community I th- of course the devil wants you isolated we need each other but listen jesus says as he's calling his disciples i got a mission i'm gonna make you fish for people you must take let me ask you are who are you helping to take one step closer to jesus on a hundred step journey with him who in your world are you praying for that does not know who jesus christ is you, you may know um, these two guys. they're comedians, they're magicians, they're pen and teller. There's a story of Penn Gillette. He was on an airplane, and Penn Gillette is a, is a raging atheist, believes in no God at, absolutely. He thinks Christians are crazy for believing there is a God. He was on an airplane and he was sitting next to a man who was reading the Bible and they had a beautiful conversation and Gillette got off the airplane and went home into his home office and began recording his experience with this christian in the airplane and he said it was a lovely conversation he said the guy didn't hate me i definitely felt the love from the guy he said the guy absolutely loved his jesus and then Gillette says this about christians this is interesting he says this i'm an atheist i don't respect people who don't pros- proselytize Which means share your faith, evangelism. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? That's coming from an atheist, friends. And he says, I respect Christians who really truly believe that there are heaven and hell and want to share that news with lost people. And he sits there as an atheist, not even, if you will, he's not in our family. I hope he comes to Jesus Christ someday. But he sits here and goes, man, I can't believe that group over there. They must hate people not to tell other people about Jesus. That's his perspective. Please lean in on this. The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. We got to go fish for people. We got to go. The Great Commission begins this way. You know it. What's the first word? One more time. Why? (laughs) As the Greek says, as you are going, go make disciples. The very first step of discipleship is conversion. But it's not good enough to leave them just saved. We must get them discipled. I'm going to say it this. Discipleship is our X factor. Discipleship is the overarching goal of what making disciples is. It's the overarching theological term is discipleship. Discipleship is our X factor. And I'm going to define discipleship this way. This is our last conversation as I'm closing. I'm going to define it this way. Discipleship is a spirit-empowered process. It's a what? Spirit-empowered process. It's a process, know that. It's a process to continue to be informed by Jesus of one person helping others become lifelong obedient. (laughs) I love that we put that there. Obedient followers of Jesus who in turn help others become the same that it is not in your own doing, but it literally is the spirit that's empowering you to help this outcome, to help other people become lifelong, obedient followers of Jesus, then they in turn do the exact same thing to other people. In other words, I'll shorten it to this sentence. Discipleship reproduces the life of Christ in another person. And then they go reproduce the life of Christ in another person. It keeps going on. So I'm going to give you... Four quick anchors of discipleship. And so how do we help make disciples who make disciples? How do we do it? Four quick things. And you're going to start seeing the praise team make their way back if you're curious who those people are. Okay? Because I was. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, they're moving too soon. Okay? Here we go. Here's the first anchor. Discipleship is fueled by Holy Spirit. It's fueled by who? Ah, doesn't that take a little bit of pressure off? You know, remember we looked at the Great Commission, but what is Acts one eight? Jesus says, "Hey, by the way, go th- go and therefore make disciples of all nations." But then he tells the disciples, "You guys know this." Acts chapter one verse eight, he says, "But you will receive what power. power." The Greek word is dunamis. Again, we get the word dynamite from that word. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit come on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now you can go do the mission I've called you to do. It's not in your own power. It's by being fueled by Holy Spirit to go do it. But you need the filling of the Spirit. I was talking to someone that is a, they're a Southern Baptist. What that means is like, they, he joked around that they put Holy Spirit in a box. And they put them over in the corner and say, just behave yourself. And then they do Church. And he was talking, he's like, and I loved what he said. He said, you know, there's a belief that, you know, when you get saved, you get the Spirit. And he goes, then some people believe in a second filling of the Spirit, which I believe we see in Acts chapter 2, because we're told that, The disciples, uh, Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and then something in Acts chapter 2, completely different, changing, filling of the Spirit. And he goes, I don't believe in a first, I don't believe in a second, but I believe in a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. He's like, every day I need the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't do this without the Spirit, the presence of God with us. Discipleship is fueled. Here's the second anchor. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. Please leave it in for a moment. Programs don't disciple people. People disciple people. I'm not against programs. We have programs. But I think we need more. We need less programs and more power and presence in our life. than we do more programs. Which you're going to be shocked in a moment when I share another new program we're launching. So I'll just... <laughs> remember what jesus calls his first disciples what does he say follow me relationship for the next three years you're going to be in a relationship with me it's a process it takes time but oh is discipleship rooted in relationship first thessalonians 2 8 says this we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own lives Right, We cared enough to you to share about Jesus, but listen, we're going to share our life now with you. Now we're going to help you, you church in Thessalonica, walk after Christ Jesus. We're going to invest in you to make sure that discipleship happens, that you are a lifelong, obedient follower of Jesus, and now you go do the same for other people. Here's the third anchor. Discipleship is not a destination, but a lifelong journey of growth. It's a lifelong journey of growth. It doesn't just happen overnight. I think a lot of transformation can happen overnight with the power and presence and the glory and the indwelling of the spirit in our lives. But eventually to look fully like Jesus, this is a process. We're in it for the long haul. It's a process. And lean into this. Many claim to profess Christ, but few are growing in his image. Hang on that. Are you actually growing? Please hear me. I love that you come on Sunday morning. I love this. I, I view this, this is Thanksgiving dinner every Sunday with you guys. Right, we get to worship, we get to feast on the word. This is family, this is awesome. But what do you do in the other six days a week? Are you in the word? Are you in worship? Are you in prayer? What, what do you do in the other six days a week? To grow in the image, ladies, you got to give yourself a hand of. You got to give yourself a hand of a. I don't even know what I'm saying. Hand of applause, applause of hand, whatever. You, you, ladies, seventy ladies showed up to invest in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That was awesome this past week. That was awesome. It's those environments. Here's the last one. Discipleship is marked by multiplication. It's marked by multiplication discipleship aims at multiplication one of the measures of success of discipleship is succession who are you pouring into then who are they pouring into it's marked by that i love what um, what paul writes to the church in corinth he says this in first corinthians 11 1, imitate me as i also imitate christ Right, He's pouring into the church in Corinth saying, listen, follow me. Imitate me, guys. It's about this multiplication because what I'm doing is imitating my Savior. Here's a question. Is your life worth imitating? Is your life worth replicating to another person? Would they literally sit there and go, man, I see Jesus in you. Will you please teach me the ways of Christ? Is your life worth imitating? Remember, Discipleship, the overarching thing of making disciples is discipleship. A spirit-empowered process of one person helping others become lifelong obedient followers of Jesus who in turn help others become the same. And here's my close. You didn't know this, but did you know there's a mascot for discipleship? Here's the mascot. A bonsai tree. You look at a bonsai tree, it has the exact same genetic material as a full-grown tree out in nature. It can have leaves, it's got roots, it's got bark, it's got branches. It's the exact same genetic material. Do you know what makes a bonsai tree a bonsai tree? Is that little pot it sits in. It's the environment in which it grows up in. That environment limits its roots so it can't grow deep. So that tree stays small. We can take that bonsai tree out of that pot and go plant it out in nature, and that thing would grow to be a massive bonsai tree. But it's all about the environment that it's growing in. Discipleship. Is a bonsai tree. Some of us have limited environments in which we're growing and we can't grow deep roots. So turn to someone around you, I don't care who it is, repeat these words after me. You might be a bonsai tree. <laughs> there you go, see? You didn't know that, right? Here's what I want to say. Here's a couple environments, and you're going to start seeing the worship team comes up as we close. Here's a couple environments. Some of us do one-on-one discipleship. I'm going to show you a great resource to do a 13-week one-on-one discipleship. It's called this, Growing in Christ. It's 13 weeks that you can disciple one-on-one. I often give this to people who just come in Christ and give them a sign to a mature Christian who's walked with Christ for a while and say, do this study together. Get them rooted, Right? Break, the, break that little container of the bonsai tree. Let's get, expand wide and let's go deep. So this is a great 13. If you're like, I don't know what to do with this person. I may have this coworker or this classmate. I would highly recommend that book right there. You can get it on Amazon for like $10, dollars 9 bucks, nine it will be there in two days, okay? Two days. Here's some other d- environments that we have so we don't stay a bonsai tree. You know, we have life groups life groups here. We mention biblical community all the time. We have summer life groups right now. Sign up. Sign up. Men, let me talk to you for a moment. Men, you need each other. There is a men's life group this summer that is happening. You need to get into that and get signed up for it. Don't be a bonsai tree this summer. I know summer's coming, but don't be a bonsai tree. Get your roots deep Get signed up. There's other groups. There's message-based group. And sign up quick because groups, some groups are already full and they're coming off our sign up. Sign up on the back. Uh, don't sign in the back of the chair. But there's a QR code on the back of your chair. Go to the website. Get signed up. We have something called D-groups. And we don't mention this often, but these are organic groups of three to five people gender-based. Males meeting with males. Females meeting with females. And the whole idea of a D-group, which stands for discipleship group, is this. You are scripture driven. That's all you are. And you meet every week for 12 to 18 months, depending on what your group does, for high accountability and getting into God's word together. That's what a D group is. So if you're like, I didn't even know that exists, will you please see myself, Pastor Josh, or Pastor Brandon? We can help you launch a D group. And you know three to four people right now. You're like, I want to do life with them for the next 12 months, 18 months. High accountability. Get into a D group, launch a D group. And again, it's all scripture-based. It's not the new Beth Moore study or Craig Rochelle. It is all scripture-based study. And then here's the new program I told you about. Um, We are in the process, Pastor Josh and I, of launching what's called the Radiant Institute. This is going to be a one-year discipleship program for our church. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to come because we have a goal and I don't want to... Not miss the goal, (laughs) the deadline that we're after. But we're going to create what we realize is this. Biblical illiteracy runs high in the American church. We don't know the overarching biblical story. We don't know our doctrine. We don't know spiritual disciplines in our lives. And so what this idea of the Radiant Institute will be a one-year discipleship program that we're going to meet every single week like a school, And we're going to dive deep into the biblical story and help you understand um, spiritual disciplines and doctrine that is true and rich in our faith. That's what this Radiant Institute. And then you guys are going to be able to choose electives. Pastor Josh and I really want to take you. Maybe here's a little teaser. Maybe um, we're teaching uh, silence and solitude to you guys. In the Radiant Institute, we may take a Friday, Saturday, and go to like a monastery for silence and solitude. Listen, it's not just going to be head knowledge. We're going to help you actually practice this and play it out in our lives. We're geeking out about it, by the way. It's going to be awesome. But we'll announce that more. What we realize is we do not know the Bible and what we believe. We just don't. So we want to take it and help you understand how rich and beautiful our faith is. And go live it out and go replicate it to other people. It's about making disciples who make disciples. Our mission, as we close, living out our God-given purpose every day by being transformed by Jesus, reaching the lost, and making disciples who make disciples. And I know you are here this morning and you're sitting here going, man, I don't, man that's a lot. I don't know if I, if I can do it. Pastor Ryan, I don't have your schooling. I don't have your degrees. I don't know how to even start. What happens if they ask me questions I can't answer? Can you ask me questions I don't know how to answer? It's awesome. But we'll grow together. I want to encourage you. You can do it. Let me actually back that out. You were created to do it. See, for the disciples... Remember I said they didn't make it in schooling? At least a famous rabbi rabbi didn't select them, right? Because they're doing the family trade. You know, it's funny that Jesus chose them. Jesus skipped the religious institution of Jerusalem. He skipped the rich city of Jericho where he could have chosen the best of the best, but he didn't. He chose a ragamuffin, collect, eclectic group of men to change the world. And then in Acts chapter four, they realize, yeah, these are just ordinary men. Acts chapter four, what does it say of Peter and John? They realize their boldness and they were uneducated and untrained men. You know where that word uneducated, literally we get the word idiot from? <laughs> legit. Like, they're like, these guys are dumb. But what were they amazed? They had been with Jesus. You are created to do this. You can. This is the greatest task with the greatest presence. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do it. The Holy Spirit. It's going to take all of us, friends, and we can do it. What if you got serious about discipleship? What if you got serious at your home, in your work, or in your school? What would it look like to get serious? Start making disciples who make disciples. What would happen if we took the Great Commission at its value and we take Acts chapter 1, verse 8 at its value, that we will be empowered by the Spirit to make disciples who make disciples? What would it look like that we're reaching more lost people, helping them be transformed by Jesus, that people now are say, I know my God-given purpose, and I will live it out every single day. What would our communities look like if we got serious about our faith and our mission? It won't take one of us It will take all of us. Amen? Amen. Will you please stand, church family? Please stand. We're going to close with great are you, Lord, all of us. Just the bridge and chorus and then we're out. But may it be all of us that all the earth, all the earth will know how great our God is because we as a church decided to live on mission to make disciples who make disciples, that we care enough about a lost, hurting world out there, that one day we want every tongue and every knee to confess Jesus Christ is Lord.